The Supreme Court kicked off its first day of the new term with fresh arguments and a new face. To unpack today and all that's to come, we turn now to our regular court watcher, Marsha Coyle, chief Washington correspondent for the National Law Journal, and Josh Gerstein, Politico's senior legal affairs reporter. Welcome to you both. It's so great to have you. So much to ask you about, but Marsha, let's start with the new person on the court, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson. This is the first case uh, she's hearing. Uh, we have just a bit of an excerpt, an audio excerpt, of her questioning uh, as the justices heard the arguments. We're going to listen to that and come back to you. Okay. Did they see the property? I understood in the pictures that you could tell that at least part of it was a wetland by looking at it. So... Uh, the I believe Mr. Fletcher was referring to after the initial work had been done, and the pictures show that there is water on the property, but that doesn't show how it was before. But if, if I could go back, though, to the question of the jurisdiction. But you keep talking about notice and fair notice and property owners not being able to tell or know about this issue. So, Marsha, not being shy, she's right <laughs> in there with questions. How did, how did she do? Uh, I think she did very well. Uh, she had a tendency at, at points to dominate the questioning, and I think that's just the function of being new until you, you get a sense of your colleagues and uh, you know how, how and when they like to ask questions. Uh, it, she, there's really two general approaches that new justices take at their first oral argument. They're either cautious and hang back, ask a question or two, or they jump in full-throated like she did. And in a way, Judy, she reminded me of uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor when she started on the court. Uh, she had, like Sotomayor, a complete command of the uh, record in the case, uh, which I think reflects her being a trial judge, and also of the legislative history and Congress's intent behind the statute that was before the court. Josh, what was your take on how she did? Well, she was certainly, as Marcia said, very vocal. I mean, she, I think, may have spoken and questioned more than any other justice, at least during that first section of the arguments. And she was very well informed, as Marcia said. Uh, she reminded me, in fact, a little bit of her predecessor, Justice Breyer, in this question she kept bringing up about congressional purpose and congressional intent. But there was no question she intended to come out of the gate here uh, very strong and to indicate that she's not going to be some kind of shrinking violet uh, on the court. That's not going to be her role. She wasn't holding back. Well, Marcia, let's talk for just a moment about what the case was today. It was about the Clean Water Act. In a nutshell, what was the, what was the argument? What's the significance? Well, it's very significant because how the justices decide uh, what kind of tests to use to determine whether wetlands are part of the waters of the United States uh, can uh, really affect how broadly the Clean Water Act can be used to ensure water quality in a lot of different types of water bodies. And so there was a lot of discussion uh, about uh, what the lower federal appellate court's test was and uh, the Sackett family that brought the case to the Supreme Court, uh, they're asking uh, for a test that really would uh, allow them to build their family home on the lot that the government has said is a wetland, and they can't do that. So uh, I thought uh, the justices at the very end were really struggling with some sort of middle ground here uh, between what the Sackett family was arguing and what the government wants uh, the court to do. So, and Josh, all this, of course, this is the first day of the term. It's been anticipated in so many ways, not only because of the new justice, but because we are seeing tensions in the court and public trust 
of this court at almost historically low levels. Yeah, there's been an unusual exchange also, Judy, over the last few weeks. Normally the summer time, the justices sort of take time off, go to their vacation homes and so forth. Some of them go teach in Europe customarily. But we've seen this unusual back and forth that has developed over the last couple months, chiefly led by Justice Elena Kagan, who has come out in a series of speaking appearances and said that she thinks that some of the court's recent decisions have given people reason to think that the court is deciding cases in an unprincipled way. She suggested maybe in a political way or with an eye to achieving a certain outcome. And this has produced a rebuttal both from Chief Justice John Roberts and um, also from Justice Samuel Alito, who have pushed back against that. But the Chief Justice in particular seemed kind of unhappy earlier in the month uh, about this whole exchange and about Kagan's criticism without directly uh, you know, going after her. He's been speaking about it, as you say, without going after a, an individual justice, but making it clear uh, that he's not comfortable with it. Marsha, all this happens as we're heading into a term with a long list of contentious, uh, controversial cases. J just name just a few of the ones that you're okay. watching. Judy, I think if you defined last term by the abortion ruling, I think this term may well be defined by what the justices do with cases involving race. So I'm watching uh, two cases involving Harvard College and other involving the University of North Carolina, in which the court is being asked to overrule uh, a nearly 20-year-old uh, precedent of the court that allows uh, higher education institutions to consider race as one factor in the admissions policies. Uh, and then also there's a very important uh, Voting Rights Act case that's actually going to be argued tomorrow morning, and that comes out of Alabama and involves probably the only part of the Voting Rights Act that is left because the Supreme Court in 2013 gutted another important part of the Voting Rights Act. This time it's Section 2. So voting rights advocates are very concerned about what the court will do to that section in this case, which uh, involves Alabama's uh, 2021 uh, congressional map in which a lower court found it violated the Voting Rights Act because it diluted the votes of uh, black Alabamians. A lot of, Josh, a lot of attention on that case. As you say, it's going to be argued tomorrow morning. And it has the potential, and these other cases do, to play into this perception out there uh, that the court is more political than it's ever been. Right. I mean, we're looking at a 6-3 conservative court here with three justices appointed by a single president, President Trump. And so it's not terribly surprising that they would have a different perspective on some of these issues. But they keep turning to these cases such as the abortion case that was decided last term. There's another voting rights-related case that's coming up this term involving state legislatures and how much power they should have, perhaps potentially unchecked power uh, over voting and voting rights issues. And these are all areas where really the conservatives are preparing to really show their muscle, I think, on some of these subjects. Judy, I think it's important, too, to also note that, for the most part, the court has almost absolute discretion in choosing the cases that it will hear mm. to decide. It only takes four votes uh, to grant review, but you do need five for a majority, and we now have a conservative majority that has six in it. So uh, the court, in a sense, has reached out for some of these cases mm -hmm. where there is no conflict in the lower courts. The affirmative action case is a good example that it's been quiet for years. Which, which makes it appear that the court is looking yes, it <laughs> to, does. Make, uh, to make waves, if you will, with the decisions that are coming.
That's right. I mean, we, uh, we do even see the justices now in opinions in other cases that they turn down basically suggest that litigants come forward and bring some of these controversial issues back to the court. And indeed, that has happened on several occasions just in the last couple of years. Marcia, do you see in, from any direction an, an effort by the court, other than remarks by the chief justice, to try to head off that impression that the court is moving in a, in a, a very politicized or political direction? I think the only way we can tell will be how they decide the cases this term, whether they'll go big or whether they'll attempt to find some narrow rulings, as the Chief Justice generally prefers to uh, move a little more incrementally than his uh, five conservative colleagues. So uh, I don't know that I can say now that uh, we're going to see uh, any real concern for that. Uh, we should listen. Uh, for the opinions that come and probably the dissents that give us some sense of uh, what what is happening inside the court. The wording of, of, exactly. their, of their opinions. Uh, we, can, we can tell a lot from that. Yes. Marsha Coyle, Josh Gerstein, thank you both. Thanks, Always a Judy. pleasure, Judy.